Good evening. First Corinthians nine, if you would. It's been a joy and a privilege for me to be back amongst you. It's been a couple years since I've had the privilege of, of being back and seeing everyone. So thank you for the opportunity to come, and, and thank you for your fellowship. And um, it's just, it's been a joy. So praise the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Father, we just want to ask for your help and blessing during this hour tonight. Lord, we thank you for what you accomplished this morning. And we do pray tonight, Father, that the, the enemy would not steal away any of the blessing, any of the seed of the word of God. We pray, Father, that, that we would continue before you in dependence, that we would continue to abide, that the Spirit of God would have his way with each and every person that was here this morning. And we pray that again for tonight. Father, you who began a good work, you will complete it. Lord, that's our joy. That's our confidence. If any of this Christian life was up to us, Lord, I would go home and quit, knowing myself, knowing my inability, knowing knowing uh, so many things that would be discouraging. But Father, it's such a joy to be able to look to you and to commit this group to you. So we pray, Father, that we would be able to sit at your feet tonight and humbly listen to your voice through your scriptures. And we pray that the Spirit of God would speak on behalf of Jesus Christ and that you would convict, that you would rebuke if and where necessary, that you would comfort and encourage if and where necessary, that you would teach Lord, just please show us the way we pray. Father, we love your son. There's nothing about your son that we don't love, and we're just beginning to get to know him. Father, we pray that you would please help us to honor him. And Lord, Lord, we would even pray that you would ruin us for anything except the greatest possible glory for Jesus Christ. Father, please work in this group of people that they would be as holy as unglorified redeemed sinners could possibly be father we pray that you would work in this group of people to bring about the greatest possible glory for your son lord we just we just are so uh, dependent on you to do these works and then there's also things father that are dependent on us uh, father i pray for my brothers and sisters that they would recognize areas that they're grieving and quenching the spirit of god and that, that it would be recognized as the sin that it is, the falling short that it is. Father, show us, we pray, sins of commission and sins of omission. Lord, we just want to ask for your help and your work. And we just pray, Father, that you uh, would take this time and use it. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And with the Lord Jesus Christ, we can do all things through him who gives us strength. 
So we cast ourselves before you and we pray these things for the honor, glory, and pleasure of the Lord Jesus Christ and in his name, amen. If you like sermon titles, this is titled Bema, Run as if to win. Bema, Run as if to win. And this is really just a summary of the things that we've been talking about all weekend long. Uh, Saturday morning, we looked at an overview of the judgment seat of Christ, that it is revealing, it is um, reviewing one-on-one with the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it clearly biblically carries the potential of being rebuking, depending on how you live your life. And the primary thought of the judgment seat of Christ, praise the Lord, is that it is a time of reward. Uh, If you live anything like Christ, even anything like Paul, then you look forward to the day when you will see the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account and and receive your reward from a gracious Savior. So we looked at that overview on Saturday morning, and then we talked about three common misconceptions of the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, This morning we looked at what will the judge reward for, and then now we're just going to look at this practical passage that we are exhorted to run the race as if to win the prize. Uh, The Lord Jesus tells us the truth about all of these things. And then I think of this like a coach. Every time I read this passage, nobody is, is, and the Lord knows I mean this respectfully, uh, nobody is a bigger cheerleader for the people of God than Jesus Christ. Um, And when I read this, I just think of a coach just spurring on his athletes for the Lord. And um, this passage just clearly tells us, um, you know that there's a race. In fact, it says, um, those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. So to put it in the context of this room tonight, every Christian in this room is in this particular race that is being addressed. So every one of you that are believers in the Lord Jesus, you are in the race. If you don't like to race, if you like to race, whether you ever thought you were signing up for a race, regardless of any circumstance, you are in, you're in the race. I don't get invited to be in a lot of races, <laughs> but this is one that, that I'm in, whether I like it or not. And the Apostle Paul exhorts them, those who run in a race all run. So you could say every Christian lives the Christian life. But then, then he says, only one receives the prize. We've made the point multiple times throughout the weekend that we should not be so foolish as to think that everyone will do well at the judgment seat of Christ. Some will suffer loss, shame, tears, the loss of eternal reward. It'll be a very different experience for different Christians, and it depends very obviously from Scripture. It depends directly, proportionately, to the choices that you've made and what you've decided to invest and pour yourself out for. So uh, we'll jump into this text here in just a second. Before we do that, I want to turn to one cross-reference uh, just because I think it's, it's vitally important. Uh, we'll come right back here, but go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you would. 2 Timothy chapter 2. In verse number five, this is a great, a great verse. Second Timothy chapter two in verse number five says this. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, so same illustration as first Corinthians nine. If anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. 
So there you have it, same author, same illustration. And he says right from the beginning, there will be no crowns for the person who does not compete according to the rules. Now, we've seen this in multiple different ways over the course of this weekend. And I really appreciate how clear this picture is. If you're going to win a race, you cannot cut through the infield to beat the rest of the runners, right? Uh, you cannot start before the other people, right? Uh, it's just very simple, very straightforward. Now, where do we find the rules? Again, that's very simple and straightforward too, right? This, these are the rules. Uh, I live in a generation that doesn't like the idea of rules. And now I don't know this particular group. But like if you hear rules, if you react against that or not. But my generation, we do not like that, that word. We like grace, <laughs> right? We like freedom. You know, we like the words like that. Um, but we do not like the idea. In fact, we kind of reject the idea of the law of liberty, uh, the New Testament teaching, which is a higher standard than the law of Moses ever was, right? They're required to give a tenth. We give everything, right? We, according to the New Testament, he owns everything that you are. Every, he deserves every breath and every word, and we'll give an account of every idle word. So right here, he uses the same exact illustration, and I mean the physical illustration of sports, of a runner, and he says, you will not be crowned unless you compete according to the rules. My dad, a number of years before he died, he looked at me and uh, he was crying and he said, the greatest mistake of my life was to consider this book to be a devotional book. That's how he thought of it. And my dad did love the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, all of my life, my dad was pro-God. He was pro-Lord Jesus Christ. Um, he wanted us to go in that direction. He always encouraged us that way. And, and he looked at me, uh, I think I told you this weekend, I was his best friend. He said that was the greatest mistake of my life was to consider this book to be a devotional book. And I thought I already love the Lord Jesus, and so I don't need to do devotions, right? I don't need someone to convince me to try to do the right thing because I already want to do the right thing. I don't need someone to convince me to love the Lord. I already love the Lord. And so he was busy out trying to hit a financial home run, trying to do different things, not wicked things. He was faithful to my mother. He was faithful to us. He was, I mean, this was a good man that I deeply love, but he knew looking back that our family, to be very frank, would, it would have been different had he known the word of God. It would have been different had he led us as a family in the word of God. And he told me that was the great mistake of my life was to not know the rules, if you want to put it in that context of what Paul says to Timothy. So no one will be crowned unless they compete according to the rules. Okay, so back to 1 Corinthians 9, if you would. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And let's begin to go through our passage here. I just have four simple points tonight in the outline. Point number one is what makes a good athlete also makes a good Christian. I love Holy Spirit-inspired biblical illustrations. I love that because it just makes truth so clear. And he's saying that exact point right here. He's saying the Christian life is like a race. It's like an athletic competition. And so he uses that to teach us a spiritual reality. So again, let's read it in verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Gold, giving glory to God. Silver, service and redemption. 
precious stones, anything we would do to build up the body of Christ. The crown of righteousness, loving his appearing. The crown of rejoicing, the work of soul winning in any form that you'd be involved in it, including prayer, by the way. Boy, so many times we can put prayer last when we ought to be putting prayer first. Um, laboring in prayer for missionaries and, and workers here. Um, crown of rejoicing, soul winning. Crown of life, enduring faithfully to the end, whether he asks you to live for him or die for him. Crown of glory, the shepherd's crown. And then if you want to include it, it's in this passage, the imperishable crown. The Lord told us what the crowns were. He told us how to get the crowns. And then here, he just gives us a clear exhortation. Now, go out and live your life in such a way that you'll get these when you're, when you're all done with it. Um, that's why I think of this passage like a coach. He's, he's encouraging his athletes on. Now, just for the sake of abundant clarity, I'll say this. They are not running to receive heaven. They are running to receive the prize, according to the, the text. We've talked about this throughout the weekend. Every believer in Christ is going to the judgment seat of Christ. And even, according to 1 Corinthians 3, if all of their works were burned up at the judgment seat of Christ, it says they will be saved, yet so as through fire. So it's not a judgment of where you spend eternity. That's determined by what you do with Christ in this life. It's a judgment of, of reward for service. So everyone races, not everyone wins. There's a gentleman that I greatly respected in my college years. All of us greatly respected him. He was zealous and focused and mature, and uh, he's just a leader of men. I've known a couple guys like this uh, over the course of my life, and um, they're, just, they're just leaders. And I just admire them when I, when I see them. And um, I remember standing around in a group of people and talking about this guy and saying to my friends, this little circle, I wonder how he got to where he is, right? We all admired him. I wonder how he got to where he is. And one of my friends, and I think rightfully so, just said he spent a tremendous amount of time in God's word. He read it with a heart to obey it, right? Not simply reading, but reading with a heart to love the Lord Jesus and a heart to obey anything and everything that you find. So run the race as if to win the prize. You know, in my own growth, um, I, I told you this weekend, football was an idol to me. Uh, I played a sport in every season. Some seasons I would play two. Like there'd be seasons where you would do swimming and soccer, one before school, one after school. Um, I just loved competition. Uh, I, loved, I, I loved all of that. That's why I love passages like this um, because I remember in my own Christian life realizing uh, at some point realizing wow the Christian life isn't that much different than football right uh, I remember realizing that discipline makes a huge difference in in whether or not a Christian is quote-unquote successful and fruitful uh, that if you work harder in the Christian life you grow faster right uh, the, I don't see Dan and Nikki here tonight um, the Rogers but uh, their dad, we were, we were in Ecuador in 1997. I would love to go back. And um, I hope they write a missionary biography about his dad. But um, I found out that his dad gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I'm not a 4 o'clock in the morning person. And uh, I admire the 4 o'clock in the morning people, but it's just not me. And, and I just said, wow, 4 o'clock. And he just kind of responded nonchalantly. And he said, you know, I just found that there's so much to do in the day. If I got up earlier, I could get more done. I saw more fruit for the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, it's a joy to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Discipline, right? 
It's no different than an athlete, no different. Uh, on my football team, they demanded that you lift weights two hours to two and a half hours a day, five days a week. They demanded that you lift during the summer, uh, everything. They required a tremendous amount from the football players, and they consistently cranked out state championship teams. That's how you do it, right? We had a coach that demanded respect. If there was ever a discipline problem in the school, they didn't go to the principal. They went to the coach if it was a football player. And the football players would do anything the coach said. And he, he consistently cranked out state championship football teams because of, of discipline. So what makes a good athlete also makes a good Christian. And that leads us right into point number two. Discipline is key. Discipline is key. Now let's keep reading here. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. The word compete there is the Greek word agonizomai, and uh, it's the word where we get our, our English word agonize, or to strive, to be earnest. I, I well remember, even though this has been over half of my life ago, being out in full pads in 107-degree weather in Kansas, you know, playing football, and, and getting so dry, forgive me if this is gross, that you couldn't swallow anymore. You couldn't spit the dust out of your mouth anymore. I mean, I well remember uh, it, wearing full pads, by the way, if you've never played football, is like wearing a winter coat. And you're out there running sprints and running plays for two hours. And I remember all of that very well. You know, just the physical striving, the physical agony. I loved it, by the way. Um, boy, the guys that, that played um, on our team, most of them, they just loved it. They, it was a privilege to be a part of the team. And what he's saying is the Christian life is like that. Everyone who competes, agonizes for the prize, is temperate in all things. The idea of temperance there is self-control. We talked this morning about ten things that the Lord Jesus says, if you do this, great is your reward. Now, what's it going to take to actually see those things realized in your life? Temperance, right? Self-control. You're going to have to say, okay, these things have to go because they don't matter. Okay, that show's hilarious, right? I laugh at that show. I found a long time ago that if I, if I watched a show for two weeks in a row, I could get emotionally invested in the characters, and I could laugh at the jokes, and I could look forward to the next time that that came out. Somebody that's going to take this passage seriously, they're going to have to say, okay, does that matter at the judgment seat of Christ, or does that not matter at the judgment seat of Christ? You answer that however you want to with a clear conscience before the Lord. The Lord knows I could care less whether the Christians have cable. I, I could care less, honestly. Now, if you're dishonoring Christ with cable, I care about that, right? But I had to honestly deal with that question as the leader of my family and as an individual that will give an account to Jesus Christ. I had to say to the Lord, is my judgment seat of Christ going to look better if I'm piping cable into my home? Or is my judgment seat of Christ going to look worse if I'm piping cable into my home? Now, I'm treating cable like a neutral issue, like a morally neutral issue. But to me, the answer was just obvious. My judgment seat of Christ is going to look better if I'm not piping things that so easily waste my time into my home. And so I actually waited and prayed for, for months because I'm not just making a decision for me. I'm making a decision for my marriage, and I'm making a decision for my kids. 
And, and I just knew, like to me, there was no question whatsoever. And so it just had to go. Now, I'll say it one more time. I don't care about that specific issue. I'm just using that to illustrate, to flesh out this concept. Someone who's going to agonize for the prize. Someone who's going to strive for the prize. Someone who's going to say, okay, the living God has told me to run the race like an athlete runs the race or like a football player plays his game, right? If someone who's going to take that seriously, these are the kind of things that we have to think through. Christians very regularly say, I don't have time. And they're being honest. They don't have time. Well, something has to change. We live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world. We live in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. If you don't have time in this country, um, boy, discipline is, is key. One person put it this way. We have all met people who are gifted and even love God, but they will accomplish only a fraction of what they might do for God. The reason is that they are satisfied with too little. They are in the race, but don't want to pay the price of winning. I like that. We're all in the race, but not everybody wins the prize. Anybody know the name Marcus Vick? Do you remember that name? Yeah. Uh, Of course, Michael Vick, that's the famous name, right? That's the older brother one of the most phenomenal athletes in the NFL, right? Just pure athletic ability. Well, his little brother, Marcus, everybody at Virginia Tech says his little brother was more athletic than Michael. And if you don't know his name, it's because he kept messing up at Virginia Tech when he was there in school. He'd get busted for illegal gun possession. He'd get busted for having stolen CDs in his car. And I was just watching this very casually from a distance, like I would hear these little things. And I just kept thinking, are you serious? Phenomenal athletic ability. All you have to do is nothing for a couple years, and you will go to the NFL and play. Right? That's all you have to do is just do your time and you're going to get drafted. And he never did get drafted, at least to my knowledge. He never did make it to the NFL. All of that ability. Is that right? Did he make it? Oh, oh, undrafted. Okay, anyways, shows you how much I pay attention. But anyways, but all of that ability, right, squandered um, because because he, he didn't want to pay the price of winning. So I have seven points of application here, and I'm just going to rattle through these. Um, By design, this is intended to be as practical as possible. And so I'm just going to give you suggestions. For some of you, this will be remedial. Uh, I'm convinced from experience that for many people that this won't be remedial. And these will be possible ways that you can think about running the race as if to win the prize. So with a thought toward the discipline of an athlete, um, application number one, don't add more to your life cut and paste. Don't just leave thinking, okay, I need to add 10 more ministries to my life or two more ministries to my life. Think about cutting and pasting. And I would even encourage prayerfully cutting and pasting. What has to go and then then what needs to stay? For some zealous young Christian husbands, loving your wives and dating your wives is, is what you need to add to your life. Very literally. I remember realizing that, 1 Peter 3, 7. If I was going to be a 1 Peter 3, 7 husband, then I had to honor and cherish my wife. And I remember uh, realizing I can't be so zealous for the local assembly that I'm totally ignoring the wife that the Lord, that the Lord has given me. So cutting and pasting. We have a lady in my assembly who's dying right in front of all of us. Um, I'm surprised, honestly, uh, frankly, that, that she's still alive. Um, it was a good number of years ago that they... 
they had to put her on dialysis. Um, she is a warrior for the Lord. Um, I'm not trying to hurry her along to glory, but, but every one of us in my assembly are looking forward to celebrating her life when at her funeral. Um, and I trust you know what I mean by that. She's such a warrior for the Lord. Um, at one point, she was spending 40 hours a week, a week grading prison courses. You know, she at one point said to our little assembly at the time, she, she said, there's, there's a need for prison courses to be graded. She smiled very sweetly, and she said, I'm willing to take all of the reward, but I'll share it if someone else wants part of the reward too. And, uh, and she meant it, and she would just spend at least 40 hours a week grading and administrating, uh, doing all of those courses. Um, she's not physically uh, strong enough that she can even come out to the assembly, uh, hardly ever. We hardly ever see her anymore. Uh, her husband still faithfully comes out every time he can make it. Um, she's dying right in front of our eyes. Uh, when, when they came to her and said, you need to go on dialysis or you will die, nobody in their right mind, and she is the same, nobody looks back and says, oh, I don't have time, right? You, you, I mean, something has to go so that you can do dialysis. And if you don't do dialysis, you're not going to have any time anyways, right? And my point is very simple. We need to think of this as the vital subject that it is. And we need to realize this is life, the glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is so vitally important that it's the exact same thing as somebody coming and saying, you need to go on dialysis, right? Something has to go in your life because you have to make time for this. That's the, that's the whole concept here. Discipline is key. So don't add more to your life, cut and paste. Application number two, spend 20 minutes a day in prayer. Now, if that's remedial for you, first of all, praise God. But for most Christians in North America, that's not remedial. In fact, we're averaging around five minutes a day in prayer, according to a recent survey. North American Christians, how much time do you spend in prayer? This is evangelical, born-again, North American Christians. How much time do you spend a day in prayer? Five minutes. If you bump it up to another category of evangelical born-again pastors and their wives, it averages seven minutes a day. We are almost not praying. The midweek prayer meetings, many places across North America, are either sick or they're just gone altogether. If your body stops talking to your head, you're in huge trouble. And to a large extent, this is what we've done. So, so um, we read it this morning. Go into your prayer closet and your father who sees in secret will hear you, and your father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. It's a blank, it's a blank check. So spend 20 minutes a day in prayer. Um, there's a young guy, 17 years old. He came to me, uh, this is a good number of years ago. He came to me, and he, and he smiled, and he's just thinking things through. And he said, you know that feeling when you get down on your knees, and you begin to pray, and you have a great time of prayer, and then you conclude your time of prayer, and you realize it's been two hours. And, <laughs> and I thought to myself, boy, if I knew that feeling when I was 17 years old. I know this young guy. He's, a, he's just a committed servant of the Lord. He learned that from his dad, by the way. His dad is the exact, is the exact same way. Spend 20 minutes a day in prayer. Uh, number three, application number three, read the word of God. Read the word of God. In fact, I would even be more specific than that. Every Christian ought to read through the word of God every year. 
We ought to be taking a one-day-old, and I mean this literally, a one-day-old, brand-new Christian and saying, okay, this is what Christians do. They read through the Word of God every year. And before they realize that that's not true, maybe we can get them into that, into that habit, right? Uh, but I mean it, right? It is, it is not hard to read through this book. It's not even that big of a time commitment to read through this book. And yet so many Christians are not reading through uh, the Word of God. Four chapters a day will, will easily, uh, will, will more than get you through the Word of God in a year. My family and I, my two kids, my wife and I, we're reading through the Bible this year chronologically. Uh, I've heard of that, of course, for a long, long time. Who's read through the Bible chronologically? Okay, so just a handful of people. I'm really enjoying it, right? And so far, you know, we're, we're not too far into the scriptures. So we've read Job, we've read a few Psalms. Mostly we're just going through the Pentateuch right now. But, but it's really great fun. Uh, we we um, use these. And uh, when you do your daily reading, you text the other three people and say, done, every day. So it's just simple accountability. By the way, as a practical note, I find that that helps me. In prayer, I find that accountability helps me. In, in the word of God and just reading every day, I find accountability helps me. Now, if you're different than me, praise God. And I, I mean that wholeheartedly. Some people have very disciplined, regimented personalities, right? And that kind of, that side of life comes more naturally to them. That is not me, right? Um, that's not me. That's something that I have to work on if I'm going to be a disciplined Christian. And so accountability, it helps me. And to this end, I would encourage you to band together in twos, in threes, in fives, maybe in tens, whatever. You're not too far into this year. You could easily make it through the scriptures in this year. And the other thing is, who cares about a year, right? Just start. If you want to end it this time next year, praise the Lord. But if this is not your habit, maybe that's the application that the Lord would bring to you tonight, that you get a plan, pray about maybe who the Lord would put you together with that would take it as seriously as you do, and then get print out a little sheet. This is mine right here. And just commit to read through the word of God in a year. These are all over the internet. These are so easy to find. Bible reading plans. And they're everywhere. Um, yeah, very, very easy. In fact, I, I didn't ask the elders, but I'm sure the elders would even help you. Right, Malcolm? If someone wants a plan, uh, they will make sure that you can get your hands on a plan. So read through the word of God. Now, Application number four, read a good, solid book. Read a good, solid book. Some people are readers. Some people are not readers. I did not grow up as a reader. Mike Atwood, long before he was saved, he was a reader, right? Just by personality, he was a reader. So you have readers, you have non-readers. Um, historically, I'm a non-reader, although I love, I love it today. My suggestion is, is very simple, and it's this. Read a doctrine book. And then I would encourage you to read a missionary biography and then read a doctrine book and then read a missionary biography, whether you're going fast or whether you're going slow. I just encourage you to go back and forth and back and forth. It's a great habit. Depending on where you are, the books will vary. If all of this is brand new to you, then read Survey of Doctrine by Charles Ryrie. If you've never read a doctrinal book, start there. It's a great, it's a great book. And then read um, Leaves from the African Jungle, the biography of R.C. Allison. Have you ever read that? Have you read that? Okay. Boy, it's a tremendous book, isn't it? 
It's an awesome book. And then read um, Christ Loved the Church by William MacDonald. And then read Our Great Adventure in Faith, the biography of Vernon Schlieff. Anyways, if you want suggestions, come and talk to me. I'm not going to say any more. But I find, I just stole this from someone else. I find that this is a great habit of a Christian life. One of the most encouraging um, readings that I do that are extra biblical is missionary biographies. Those books are incredible, and they're so inspiring how the Lord used these people for his glory and how they were poured out for him. So that's my encouragement, back and forth, back and forth. Now, number five, application number five, join a group for fellowship and accountability. Join a group for fellowship and accountability. I call these runner's clubs, and it's from this passage, people that want to run the race as if to win the prize. The young people in Tulsa, Oklahoma have a runner's club. They're purposing to read the scriptures. They're purposing to pray. They're purposing to share their faith. They're just purposing to run the race as if to win the prize. The young people in the revived assembly in Southern California that I told you about, they have a runner's club. Now, this is just a simple application, and if the Lord leads you a different direction, that's fine. Praise the Lord. But I find that this is a helpful thing. Join a group for fellowship and accountability. Number six, commit to sharing your faith. Commit to sharing your faith. One of the most effective one-on-one evangelists that I know personally is Warren Henderson. Do you know him down here? Um, he, I've heard him say two or three times, if he gets up in the morning, gets on his knees, specifically prays that the Lord would use that day for the gospel, and then physically takes tracks and puts them in his pocket, then he finds throughout the day that he shares his faith. If he gets up, hurries into his day, now he, maybe he's reading and praying. In fact, I know Warren. He's a, he's a four o'clock in the morning person, and he gets up and he reads and he prays. But if he doesn't pray about the gospel, if he doesn't grab tracks, then his testimony is at the end of most of those days, then he realizes I've not shared my faith with one person throughout this day. It's simply a discipline. Lately, I've just been handing out either gospel CDs, which I really like, like I like the world's biggest lie, but there's several different ones that fit different occasions, um, either gospel CDs or tracks. Um, and I've just been telling people, Jesus Christ is the best thing that ever happened to me. And so I really like to give this out to people. Either that or I'll just say um, this message. And what I mean by that is the message of the gospel. I'll say this message totally changed my life. And I really just like to give this to people. I hope you get a chance to listen to this, right? It's so simple. Uh, so simple but it's a commitment and if you're not prepared um, you just you just don't do it I was in Georgia about a year ago and um, with my family uh, two-day drive home and so we we drove part way spent the night we drove the rest of the way home the next day uh, we got home brought all our stuff in from the van and I collapsed into my lazy boy chair and um, so thankful to be home and then I realized in two days of driving home gas stations and fast food restaurants and a hotel and all the rest of it in two days of driving home i had not shared my faith with one person and i just sat there realizing now you can think about it between you and the lord you can think however you want to think and i really mean that but for me i realized i'd failed and so i had to run to walgreens um do you have walgreens in florida i had to run to walgreens anyways and so and so I grabbed some tracks and I, I asked the kids, you want to come with me and told them what I was going to do. Walgreens is a mile from our house. And, um, and I headed out the door, just determined I was going to share my faith with at least one person that day. And, um, 
And so on the one mile drive from our house to Walgreens, we prayed, all three of us, we prayed together that the Lord would lead us to the, just the right person. And I got out of the, the van, uh, shut the door, looked to my left, and there was a gentleman walking down the sidewalk right toward me. And, and I, I said, can I give you some good news? Right? I love it how the Spirit of God leads in different ways. Right? I hadn't premeditated or pre-thought any strategy. I just looked at him and said, can I give you some good news? And he said, this has been the worst week of my life. This is, I need some good news. Thank you. And he took it. And he went into Walgreens. And then we stood there just for a minute, just offering to whoever we could, people sitting in cars, whatever, and then we were going to get what we needed and go back home. And I looked over this way and saw this gentleman walking the other way out of the parking lot. And he looked at me right as I looked at him. And he turned and he walked all the way back across the parking lot. Now, he didn't say, I'm a Christian, right? He didn't say anything like that. He gave no indication that he's a believer whatsoever. But he came all the way back across the parking lot. And he said, this has been the worst uh, day. The first time he said week. He said, this has been the worst day of my life. I really need good news. I'm going to go listen to this right now. Now, I didn't even give him my contact information or ask him for his. I didn't do any of those things that looking back that I wish I would have. But it's just amazing that the living God will use us to the extent that we're willing. Isn't that amazing? I just love it. It's so simple. A girl reaches the food out of a drive through window. She has a tattoo of a Care Bear on her arm, right? And you say, a Care Bear, right? And she smiles. And then you, you start this tiny conversation, hand her a track. Jesus Christ is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And she starts crying in the drive through window. I hope you get a chance to listen to this. I will, right? It's just simple, just sowing seed. Now, I know many of you do this. Praise the Lord. But I find that it's a commitment and it's a discipline. At least it is for me. Um, by the way, I'm, uh, I don't know any other way to say it than say by nature, I'm an evangelistic chicken by nature. Um, I take my place with, with the, the, what, like 1 Corinthians 2. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Uh, like Ephesians chapter 6, brethren, pray for us that we would speak boldly as we ought to speak. I find myself much in the need of prayer like that, right? I am not one of these people that I greatly respect, right? I, I love those guys that are gifted and those girls that are gifted in those ways. And it's just like breathing for them, right? They're quick on their feet, right? Someone says something to me on a plane. Isn't Lutheranism and Catholicism, uh, it's all basically the same anyways, right? And then they look at you. And I, inside, I'm sitting here smiling, right? Inside, I go, <gasps> right? And then I pray, Lord, help me. And then I find that the Spirit of God does help, right? And then you say, you know, and I know myself. Like, I know this is directly from the Spirit of God. Uh, the Spirit of God gives you help, and He leads you. And you look back, and you say, you know, if you went to a Lutheran minister and a Catholic priest and said, what must I do to be saved? They would give you very different answers. And He says, you know, that's true. And then you say, Did you know, are you going to stand before a Lutheran priest someday and be judged? No. Are you going to stand before a Catholic priest and be judged? No. Who's going to judge you? God. Right? So how do you find out what God says to, to that question? He says, I suppose I should read the Bible, right? It's just a young, humble, been married for a year, professionally educated on a plane, right? Anyways, I'm just telling you that hopefully for your encouragement. Um, that's as honest and blunt as I can be. I really am a, an evangelistic chicken. Um, but I love the lost by the grace of God. It's only because of God's working in me that I long for the 530 million people in North America to be reached with the gospel. And I love Jesus Christ, and he loves the lost. And it's the biggest delight in the world uh, to see 
It's, I should be careful. I don't want to exaggerate. It is one of the greatest delights in the world to bring to Jesus Christ a lost sinner, isn't it? And see them. The difference between an eternity of suffering and an eternity of blessing in his presence is infinite. It's infinite, the difference. And we get to witness that, someone going from death to life. So it's a discipline. It's one of those things that, that an athlete disciplines his life, a Christian disciplines his life. Number seven, I've mentioned this a couple times throughout the weekend, uh, application number seven for discipline, commit to attend all the meetings of the local assembly. Commit to attend all the meetings of the local assembly. Now, I'm not talking about the, the exceptions. I know that there are exceptions, right? Are there good reasons to miss meetings of the local assembly? Sure. Open heart surgery. Right? That's a good one. Um, if you work shift work, um, you know, I understand. We live real lives. But I'm, there's a difference between someone that's committed to the meetings of the local assembly and somebody that makes game time calls of whether or not to go to the meetings of the local assembly. There's a fundamental difference. And I'm encouraging you so that you do well at the judgment seat of Christ. Commit to the meetings of the local assembly. You cannot live out what is described in the New Testament if you're not committed to what Jesus Christ loves and gave himself for. When you give an account of your spiritual gift, why do you have a spiritual gift? It's for the building up of the body, right? You can't build up the body if you're not physically present with the body. It's just very, very simple. It's not the finish line of the, of the, of the Christian life. It's the starting line of a successful Christian life. Okay, those are my seven applications. Let's move on to point number three. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, point number three, and let's read in, um, where are we? Verse number 26. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. I just want to make just a simple little statement. The Apostle Paul lived with a healthy fear of being disqualified. That's abundantly clear in that passage. He said, I'm going to discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I'm out there preaching, then my life would end up not showing the same things that I'm preaching. If the Apostle Paul lived with that reality, you and I ought to live with that reality, right? It's very, very simple. He could be disqualified. It means to be cast away. It does not mean contextually to be cast into hell. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means you're no longer of practical usefulness to the Lord because you've ruined your testimony. You're just sitting out on the sidelines or through some moral failure, doctrinal failure, whatever, you've disqualified yourself from the, the work that the Lord once had you doing. The Apostle Paul knew that that was a possibility. A Christian in the flesh is capable of any sin. We're wise to keep that in mind, aren't we? If I ever come back here, it would be very nice to see all of the married couples still sitting together. You travel enough and you go back to places enough and eventually you see people sitting by themselves because somebody didn't take it seriously that these things can and do happen. A Christian in the flesh is capable of any sin. So the Apostle Paul clearly says that. Now, point number three in my outline is direction leads to outcome. 
direction leads to outcome. He gives two Holy Spirit-inspired illustrations in these verses. He uses running, and then he uses boxing. He says, therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. You have to know where you are going. Now, this fits so beautifully with our theme for the weekend. Where are we going? We're going to the judgment seat of Christ, right? And it's no exaggeration to say we should live every day for the rest of our lives in light of the judgment seat of Christ. That's where we are going. And we weigh everything. Remember the Bema. Remember the Bema. Remember the Bema. If you're talking about movies, remember the Bema. If you're talking about music that either honors or dishonors Jesus Christ, remember the Bema. If you're talking about being involved in a particular service, I'm not against hobbies. I'm not against hobbies at all. But my frank observation is who has time for hobbies? How could you have time? You're running the race as if to win the prize. Now, I know the Lord uses all different kinds of things. There's a guy on the East Coast whose wife got saved, and she said, she said, I'm really burdened for my husband. The assembly began to pray for the husband. Eventually, one of the brothers went to the wife and said, what does your husband do? And she, she, he was actually in the mafia. And, um, and she said, he's a very busy man. Uh, she said, the only thing he does for entertainment at all is he goes to the, the dump and shoots rats. Have you heard this story? Um, this is modern times. And, um, and so one of the guys in the assembly went out and bought a rifle and went to the dump and started shooting rats, right? And he'd just sit there, and he'd go by himself to the dump. And eventually, there was someone else at the dump shooting rats, and so they befriended each other. And anyways, long story short, right? I would love to meet this person. It's my friend that told me about him. Long story short, he led him to Christ, right? So there's a difference between just a hobby for entertainment and something you're pursuing because you're running the race as if to win the prize. And so uh, direction leads to outcome. We are headed for the Bema. We constantly keep that in mind. You have to run towards the finish line if you're going to run the race as if to win the prize. That's his first illustration. Now, I love the second illustration. Uh, He uses the second one. He says, I do not fight as those who beat the air. I love that. This is the whole reason why I loved football. You hit people as hard as you physically could, right? And then you help them up. And then you hit them as hard as you physically could. My coach, who's in the high school hall of fame today, he said he did not let us talk with our mouths. If you talked, that was like one of the biggest uh, no-nos on my team. You're not to be mouthy. He would constantly say, talk with your pads. If someone cheap shots you, if you're angry, whatever, you, it's part of the game. Look for that person and hit them as hard as you can. I mean, that's what football is, right? I just, I loved, I loved that aspect. And I love it that it's right there in the scripture. I do not want to fight as one who just beats the air randomly. This is what zeal is in its immature form. Just running out the door to do anything that comes to mind for Jesus Christ. You're swinging, right? You're swinging, but it's just random. He's saying, I want to see real blows struck to a very real enemy. Can you say amen to that? Yeah, the tearing down of strongholds, right? I want to see this. Sometimes we think the Lord is only doing great things overseas. He's doing great things here, too. There's a friend of mine. I heard him speaking on tape. Um, He knows a gentleman in Chicago who took over a youth group 
The youth group at that time had, if I remember the numbers correctly, it was 26 people. Uh, this guy came in, he took over the youth group, he said, we're going to get rid of the stereo system, we're going to get rid of the pizza, we're going to get rid of the movie nights. Uh, when we get together, we're going to bring Bibles, and we're going to study God's word, and we're going to passionately, zealously seek to follow after Jesus Christ. In, in one year, he grew that youth group from 26 people to four. And then, uh, a year... A year after that, um, a year after that, there were 1,400 kids in that youth group. They were loading up buses in Chicago, and they were going, I hate the way the world uses this term, but they were going, and I'm not suggesting this, this is what they did. They were going to um, what the world calls gentlemen's clubs. They would stand holding hands around these clubs, praying that the Lord would put them out of business and bring the owners and the, and the girls to salvation. One of those clubs went out of business the next day, right? You just real blows struck to a real enemy. There's a gentleman who, who, um, who was asked by a brother in his assembly, would you go share the, your faith with my brother-in-law? The problem was the brother-in-law lived 1,500 miles away. And so this guy said, Sid, I'll pray about it. And this is what he does. He prays about it. He prayed about it. He became convinced that this was of the Lord. And so he bought a plane ticket at his own expense. He flew 1,500 miles. He rented a car at his own expense. He drove 200 miles. And then he knocks on this guy's door. This happened in the last handful of years. He knocks on this guy's door, and he says, they live in a Hutterite community, by the way. I don't know if you're familiar with that. But they don't have telephones, Right. And so he knocks on this guy's door and he says, I've come to explain to you how you can know for sure that you'll be saved from this book. And the guy who's never met him before, he says, wait a minute. And he goes running off down the street. And then he comes back, he's sweating and panting, and he says, they're ready. And the guy's thinking, who's ready? And he walks into this auditorium with this guy that he just met. And there were 200 Hutterites sitting there seated with their Bibles, right, waiting to hear uh, from, from the Lord, how you can know for sure from this book. And somebody asked this guy, they said, how do you see such amazing things done uh, for Christ? And he said, oh, let me give you my secret. I, I read my Bible, I wait, and I pray. And then when the Lord opens a door, I walk through it. And that's it. There's, prayer-driven ministry comes to an altogether different end than activity-driven ministry. When we try to sell God our ideas... That's very different than waiting and praying and following his ideas. It's just simple. The Lord is still doing amazing things. We have three redeemed homosexual women in fellowship in my assembly back home. Praise the Lord. We have people, Christians, young Christians, that have been saved out of horrific sin of many different kinds. We have struggles with, with uh, marijuana. We have struggles with pornography. We have all of these things in the assembly because these people are now redeemed by the grace of God. And the Lord who began a good work in them is completing it. I long for the striking of real blows to a very real enemy in the next generation. In fact, that's the number one thing that I pray about. I pray like this. I pray like this. I just long to see our generation, if I can include myself with you, be a generation that zealously follows Christ and that goes forward in the things of God unto the glory of Jesus Christ. I long for that. And that's his simple illustration. Everybody's in the race, but not everybody wins the prize. Well, what does a runner run like? Um, he says, run in such a way that you'll win the prize. And then he says, everybody agonizes. They're temperate. They're self-controlled. They're disciplined. They do it for a crown that passes away. We're running for a crown that lasts forever. 
And then he says, hence, I run with direction, right? He says, hence, I fight, not as one who beats the air. I, I love this passage. Getting to know the Apostle Paul someday is going to be an incredible treat. That guy must have really been something. You read his writings, boy, he was something before he got saved, and then he was something good after he got saved. I'm going to close our weekend just with this. By and by, when I look on his face, beautiful face, thorn-shadowed face, by and by, when I look on his face, I will wish I had given him more. You think that's true? More so much more, more of my life than I e'er gave before. By and by, when I look on his face, I will wish I had given him more. By and by, when he holds out his hands, can you imagine that? We're going to see him. By and by, when he holds out his hands, welcoming hands, nail-pierced hands, by and by, when he holds out his hands, I will wish I had given him more. More so much more, more of my heart than I e'er gave before. By and by, when he holds out his hands, I will wish I had given him more. By and by, when I kneel at his feet, beautiful feet, nail-riven feet, by and by, when I kneel at his feet, I will wish I had given him more, more so much more, more of my heart than I e'er gave before. By and by, when I kneel at his feet, I will wish I had given him more. This is our chance, right, brethren? This is our chance. Father, we just ask that you would take this simple passage. Lord, there's nothing confusing that we've talked about tonight. You're so abundantly clear in your word. Lord, help us to take these simple truths from the least mature spiritually in this room to the most mature spiritually in this room. Father, every one of us, wherever we stand on that spectrum, we would confess that we have a long way to go to be conformed to the image of your Son. And we pray, Father, for your work in us. We pray, Father, that you would, would ruin us for anything except the greatest possible glory for Jesus Christ. Father, we're asking that the things that are fascinating to us now, we're asking that those would become disgusting to us. Lord, we find that you're going to have to change our appetites or we're not going to do very well in this whole process. Lord, we tend to be fairly given to our appetites. And we pray, Father, that the things of eternity would so overwhelm us that zeal for your house would eat us up, would consume us to such an extent that we would not be overcome by evil, but we would overcome evil with good and that the good things, the profitable things, the best things would push out the things that don't matter. Father, we just commit ourselves to you tonight. I commit my, my brothers and sisters in this room to you. Father, we pray that someday we will be able to stand and shout for joy at the judgment seat of Christ in the grace of God and in the victory of God. Father, we read the Apostle Paul and his testimony. Lord, he looked forward to that day. Lord, we read that we can either look forward to that or we can be ashamed at his coming. Lord, please, we just pray that you would work in this assembly corporately and that you would work in every individual. We commit it to you. We pray these things in the powerful, authoritative name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.